Our guest this week on Personally Speaking is Senator Josh Hawley. Senator Hawley has written an incredible new book called Manhood. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and Senator Josh Hawley joins me now. Senator Hawley represents Missouri in the United States Senate, where he is known for defending the unsung heroes in America who go to work, who raise a family, and who deserve a fair chance to get ahead. Before his election to the Senate in 2018, he worked as a First Amendment lawyer and law professor and served as the Attorney General of Missouri. Senator Hawley has written a new book called Manhood, The subtitle is The Masculine Virtues America Needs, which addresses the question, what gives a man's life purpose and what gives it meaning? Senator Hawley is married to Aaron and together they're the parents of three children, Elijah, Blaze, and Abigail. He's here with us today to talk about his concern over our culture's impact on boys and men and solutions for men to restore the virtue of their manhood. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Senator Josh Hawley. We're here with Senator Josh Hawley. We'll be talking in a moment about the new book, Manhood, that he's written. But, Senator, before we do that, first of all, thanks for coming on the program. And importantly, one of the reasons I wanted you on is not because I love the book, which I do, but I had just caught you on uh, television taking on our illustrious attorney general, specifically in defending and protecting Catholics. And I just got to say, when you watch what took place at Dodger Stadium and how often Catholics get beaten up, it means the world to people like me that guys like you are willing to take on the powers in Washington to say that any kind of bias or prejudice uh, or any kind of focus on people like Catholics is is just unacceptable. And I just want to thank you right up front for being someone who defends our values. Well, you bet. And listen, I'm, I'm just doing my job. It's a sad day in the United States of America when that kind of, to call it anti-Catholic bias doesn't really get to it. I mean, what it really is, is, is anti-Catholic hatred. It's anti-Christian hatred. And we see it across all different streams of the faith. But there seems to be particularly right now in some segments of this administration, a particular targeting yeah. of Catholics. Catholic pro-life demonstrators have been yeah. targeted by this administration. And now to see that they had stood up a program to try to get into parishes and recruit informants right. in parishes that they, the administration, deem, you know, whatever, too traditional, too this, too that. Who are they to make judgments about Catholic doctrine? Who are they to judge a parish and to judge the teaching that comes uh, or what goes on at the mass. It's totally inappropriate. It's grossly unconstitutional and it needs to be called out and stopped. And when you did call him on it, I I found it fascinating. He looked mortally embarrassed and uh, ashamed and and denying the whole thing. It shouldn't have happened. We're trying to correct it, but it did happen. And you called him on it. I'm so grateful for that. Let's talk a little bit about manhood. For our listeners and watchers, um, the senator is very clear about the fact that he's writing this book in some way for his son. So uh, before we talk about what you're trying to get across to your sons and sons everywhere, I'm, I'm always fascinated when I do a baptism. How in the world did you guys come up with such great names like Elijah and Blaze? 
Well, thank you for asking. Elijah, who is 10 years old now, he is named for Elijah in the Bible. Yeah, uh, He's named for the prophet, great man of God, strong man of God. I, you know, when he was born, my wife and I, we just wanted to give him a legacy of faith and a legacy of a man of God who wasn't afraid to stand in times of trouble and times of trial, but to stand strongly and boldly for the Lord. And Blaze, Blaze is named in part for St. Blaze and then yeah. also for Blaze Pascal. And in the book, I talk some about Blaze Pascal, right, and so right. he, he's been a major influence on my life, and, and so my son Blaze is named for him. I think that's great. Now, the senator also has, along with his wife Erin, a beautiful young girl named Abigail, and I'm just wondering, uh, now, you know, the book is focused on the boys, but you've got to worry about uh, raising a young girl, a woman in this culture. Um, how do you imagine you can protect your daughter? Well, you're exactly right about this, and I think these topics go together. The war... Yeah against manhood is also a war on womanhood because it's a war on gender. It's a war on the beautiful difference that God made and wrote into the nature of the universe. You know, part of the message of the book is it's good to be a man. It's also good to be a woman. And those differences are real and profound and beautiful. And we need the difference. And so to have the left now say to women that in effect, they don't exist, that any man can decide tomorrow that he wants to be a woman and women are just supposed to accept that, that women are supposed to accept the abolition of women's sports. They're supposed to accept men in their locker rooms and in their bathrooms. This is insanity. And so am I worried about my little girl? You bet I am. I'm worried about all of my kids, boys and girls. And I just think we've got to be clear about what the truth is. It's, It's just reality, right? I mean, it's just written into the nature of things that there are men, there are women, that there are unique callings and purposes for both, and we need to recover those. One of the uh, expressions they're using now for women is uh, persons with a uterus. Amazing. You know, reducing them to one biological part. It's just a whole disrespect for uh, both men and women. You're right. I got to ask you something. In a book like this, which is heavily given to uh, talking about how you came to your faith and what your faith means to you, so that People who think about picking up a book like this don't say, well, it's just, you know, a guy who's got a super zealous faith talking to us about that faith. In in the years that you've been on planet Earth, Senator, have you had your moments of doubt? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, you know, and 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 weakness and mistakes. And, and uh, in the book, I talk about mistakes I've made as a father, mistakes I've made as a husband. I think that one of the things that men confront as dads mm-hmm. and as husbands is a worry about the mistakes that we've made. You know, and I've talked to so many fathers, whether they're younger or older, who say, ah, I just feel like I've screwed it up as a dad. And one of the reasons that they're reluctant then to invest more as a father is they're worried that they're just going to make it worse. And what my, my experience has been is God's grace is unbelievable. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get close to perfect. <laughs> God doesn't demand perfection, right? He's perfect. So we don't have to be. What he ex- what he will give to us, what he expects of us, asks of us, is that we do what we can do, that we take that step forward, and he honors that and blesses that with his grace. So just to make that practical, as a dad, I mess up all the time. As a husband, I mess up all the time. But you know what? What I found is, is that if I keep going, you know, in my own faith, mm-hmm. if I if I, I screw something up, I have doubts, that's human, right? That's fine. That's part of the growth process. don't want to run away from that, want to acknowledge those, want to recognize those, and then want to grow into it. And I think as a husband and father, acknowledging that you've made mistakes, it's okay. Get back up on the horse. You know, I mean, keep on investing in your kids, keep on investing in your marriage. That is where we see growth and and frankly, where we see grace. You talk in the book uh, very powerfully about another man named Josh, 22 years old, a friend of yours, dying young. 
when moments like that happen where uh, the the impossible it seems a young person going home to god happens have you gone through the stage senator of, of being angry with god for things that don't make sense you know, yes, and and this is a, an instance I talk about losing my friend. I was had just turned twenty three; he was twenty two, just shy of his birthday. And uh, you know, this is a guy who I had known since we were fourteen years old. Mm. We played football together. Uh, we were he was like a brother to me. I mean, he was my best friend in life. Uh, spent so much time at each other's houses and each other's family. And I'll never forget the phone call that I got one evening. Uh, from a friend saying that uh, he'd taken his own life. And, you know, you go through this this uh, bewilderment and then disbelief and then wondering, you know, wh- what what's going on here? And what I learned from that is many things. But one of them is, is that I learned that the world really is a broken place and there's no getting around that. And this is one of the reasons I distrust people who say things like, oh, well, you know, if you just change your perspective, you'll really see that the world is all fine. It's all good. It's, uh, it's not. There's yeah. real brokenness in the world. There's real yeah. evil in the world. Of course, if we're being honest, that also includes in our own souls. There's there's things that we do that are bad. There are things that we do we wish we wouldn't do. And that really brought home that reality to me. And then the question becomes, you know, where is God in this? And what I found walking through that time of, of loss and questions and bewilderment in my life was that the promise of God is the promise of eternity and of a future and so, you know, I don't believe my friend is lost forever. I expect to see him one day again, and mm-hmm. I look forward to that. And I believe that God can use even terrible, horrible things that should never have happened. He can nevertheless bring good out of that. Not that they're good enough themselves, not for a second, but he can nevertheless redeem aspects of it so that there can be good that goes forward. And so, you know, I, that has been for me, I made some resolutions coming out of living, losing my friend. One of the things I vowed is, is that I wasn't going to take friends for granted in the future. One of the things I vowed is that when I had children of my own, I was going to savor every moment with them and not take any of that for granted. And so that changed, it changed my life. And, and I hope in good ways. We had, uh, as one of our guests, guests uh, Drew Brees and his own mom had committed suicide and he was concerned about would she, because of that, ever see the face of God? And I'm, I'm happy that for our church and I think most Christian churches now, there's that sense that God's mercy is so overwhelming and the depression that leads to suicide is so paralyzing for people that God and his goodness does make it possible for your friend, Josh, to uh, meet you in heaven one day, that God's mercy is that great. I, I, do you believe that too? I do. Yeah, I do believe that 100%. And you know, mm-hmm. my consolation, my hope is that my friend... Uh, it was a follower of Jesus Christ. He uh-huh. he he loved the Lord. He followed God, and and that was the basis of our friendship from the time that we were young guys. You know, from the time we were fourteen years old. And I never doubted that for a moment. And uh, I that's why I am a hundred percent confident in God's grace toward him. I'm confident that I will see him again. And again, it doesn't. You know, my faith in in the Lord and in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. Doesn't mean we don't encounter trouble and hardship. I mean, what does the scripture say? You will encounter trouble. You will encounter hardship. You know, followers of Christ, you should expect that. We should expect it. That's the world. That's the nature of the world we live in. But we have hope in the midst of that. And we have ultimately the victory of Christ, which overcomes. We're here with Senator Josh Hawley talking about his book, Manhood. Um, I would never want to miss an opportunity to talk about this woman because you make it's very clear that she's central in your life. But uh, every weekend when I get to do weddings, one of the things I want to do because I want to preach personally is I say to every couple, like, write me an essay. Why? Of the billion people out there, is this the one that you know you're supposed to build and spend your life with? Why, Aaron? Oh, that's a great question. 
Well, you know, here the truth about Erin is, is that shortly after I, I first met her and got to spend time with her, she felt to me like we had known each other forever. She felt to me like coming home. You know, it was it was like being with her was like going home to everything that was good, you know, going home to some to, to love, going home to um, happiness, going home to um, a possibility of a future together. I just when I was with her, I just thought, oh, my goodness, this is like that sense of rest and fulfillment and joy you get when, you know, you've been away from home for a long time and you go home and sell your family. And it's like, oh, this is amazing. That's how I felt around her. And I came to, I loved her commitment to Christ. She's a, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That was foundational for me. That, that's the basis of our relationship. She challenges me in my own faith journey. She challenges me intellectually. She challenges me morally and spiritually. So she is just the, a wonderful companion, better than I ever could have hoped for or imagined. And, you know, we've been married 13 years now. And people often ask me, you know, uh, how the last 13 years, is it what you expected? And I say, oh, no, it's not. It is so much more. It's so much better. I mean, I wasn't expecting bad things. I was expecting good. But it's so much more than I could have hoped for. Now, you hope to share with these children of yours a good role modeling of fathering. So I got to ask you the obvious question that you get into in the book, Manhood. Uh, the role models for you, your dad, your grandfather, uh, what did they do right? Well, I think what they did right is that they showed me that a a life that is spent in service to others is a life that has meaning. Here, mm -hmm. Here's what I think really afflicts a lot of men today, especially young men. They do not have a sense of purpose or calling or meaning. And they're told constantly by the media, by academics, by the entertainment industry, they're told that there is no meaning in the world, that the, right. the universe is an empty, purposeless place, right. and that we just all have to do our best to get through it. And I think if, you, if that's your viewpoint, how can you not feel alienated, alone, or depressed? The truth is so much different than that. The truth is that God has a purpose for each of our lives. And as a man, what my grandfather and my father modeled for me is, as a man, giving your life in service to others, living in a sacrificial way, as Christ, of course, lived ultimately, that is what gives your life purpose. That is where you build a legacy. That is where you leave something that matters. And that's ultimately how you live with the hope of eternity. Senator Hawley has also talked about something that I love that you said in the book. Um, a lot of people will say to me, uh, you know, I, I believe in God and I pray in my own way, but no, I haven't been near a church except maybe Christmas and Easter. You specifically say in the book that for you and your wife and family, it's really important to actually go to and participate in worship. Why is it not enough to have just a privatized relationship with God, but actually join in public worship? Well, I mean, a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, one of the ways that we come to know God and experience Him is in a community of believers. Mm. And then, of course, with the sacraments, the means of grace. I mean, yeah. God uses things in our lives, tangible things, to bring us to Him, to express His love for us, to teach us and grow us. So, and I can't imagine doing life alone. I mean, I just say to, to those who consider themselves Christians, but say, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a part of a, of a church. Well, you're kind of missing the point. I mean, to become a Christian is to join the family of God. It is a family that God is building. I mean, that that is the whole message of the Bible, it's the whole drama of the Bible, right? A, a people. God is, is calling out a people for himself and ultimately an invitation he offers to all 
to come and join and become a, a new people and to join together and have a family like you've never experienced before. So having that family and then meeting the Lord in corporate worship, in the sacraments, in the preaching of the scripture, I just think it's, it's so critical and so real. I mean, I don't know how it can be real to you if, if you're not worshiping with other believers, having them, listening to them. I mean, listening to their experience, listening to their understanding of the scripture, uh, worshiping together, taking the sacraments together. That I think is just, it's vitally important. We're here with Senator Josh Hawley. His book is uh, importantly called Manhood. And uh, let me tell you that when I read the book, Senator, I liked it a lot and I, I want to use it in my parish. I want to share it with our, our men's group, especially, but with all families. But I got to tell you something, just to find out whether or not I was a uh, a lone voice or a, a voice of many, I went online and I looked up reviews of your book. And I mentioned that because mostly obviously from the people on the left, but they were so vicious in their criticism of this book. So it made me wonder if, first of all, you read criticism. And if you do, how do you find the strength to say when a lot of people in our culture vilify you, can't even tolerate listening to you? How do you stay strong? How do you stay faithful? How do you not let the negativity get to you? Well, you know, what I really do is, is that I don't pay any attention to the negativity. I mean, my okay. view is, is that there are always going to be critics out there. And the more you say something worth saying, yeah, the more criticism you're going to get. And so my view is I, I, I don't give the critics the headspace, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I just keep moving forward. And uh, but I, I will say this, I would be worried in this present moment, in this cultural moment, when you have people on the left and people in power trying to tell us that there's no such thing as manhood and no such thing as womanhood. If those people are silent when I'm making my points, if they implicitly agree with me, I'm doing something wrong. Right, so right, right. Frankly, the fact that they are so angry and that they are, you know, they, they hate this book. Yeah. They hate, of course, the talk about the scripture in the book. They hate to talk about my faith. I think that's fantastic because that's a message that I think needs to be heard. And the fact they hate it so much tells me that I'm on the right track. But to be honest with you, I, I don't, I do not read the, their reviews. I don't respond mm -hmm. to them because I don't want to get drawn into a, a right. personal tit for tat. I just, I speak the message that I believe is true, adhere to that, and then just keep on going forward. So many of our guests, to be honest with you, Senator, have been uh, people of all Christian backgrounds. But one of the troubling lines I hear sometimes is, uh, well, you know, I was raised Catholic, I was raised Christian, but then, and they kind of backpedal. And I want to know where it comes from. And you, you you don't backpedal. You are unapologetic about being a believer. And that doesn't come easily to a lot of people in public life because, especially in politics, we all want people to love us. I had a guy on last not on, but I went out last night with a guy who was going to run for Congress. And one of the topics he brought up was, how do I manage not to offend one side or the other? You have offended, but you don't seem to be in any way apologetic. And I'm just wondering, where does that come from in you? Where does the courage, the strength, come from in Josh Foley to say, this is who I am by the grace of God. Sorry if you don't like it, but this is who I am. Well, it's it's the phrase you just mentioned. It's all the grace of God. I can't point anything in me and say, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really good at this or that. I mean, nobody likes to be criticized. I don't like to be criticized. I mean, right. nobody likes to be told uh, uh, you're wrong or, or to be uh, criticized in an unfair way. But, you know, listen, I mean, sooner or later, as adults and as men, we have to get over that, right? We have to ask <laughs> ourselves, what's more important to us? Is the truth more important to us, or is being loved by everyone more important? Because you can't have both of those. And yeah. you, we've never been able to have both of those in, in, ever in history. I mean, there's always a choice. Is, is the truth what really matters, or is the love of other people what really matters? And 
I've just decided to the best of my ability, by the grace of God, the truth is what matters to me most. And I frankly don't care if that means that that uh, I'm vilified by those who are opponents uh, to what I think is the truth that needs to be spoken. And you know, part of this is I don't think they're bad people. I want to be clear. One of the reasons I don't get into all the negativity is, is I don't want to think less of the people who criticize me. That's fine. They probably, many of them probably have some good points that I want to learn from. But I think you've got to take your stand on the truth and as adults and as men, and I think there's something particularly as men in this for us, we mm-hmm. have to be willing to say, hey, being criticized, being called out, having people sling uh, mud and arrows at us, we've got to learn to be fine with that yeah. and say that this is part of what we're called to do to stand for truth. Father Dan Coglin was the first Catholic priest to uh, be the uh, congressional uh, chaplain, and we had him on a while ago. But he said that one of the things he felt bad about was that for people in, in, in elective office in politics— uh, that keeping family together, strengthening family, was a real crisis. That he spent most of his time as chaplain in the Congress, just trying to heal the breach of marriages that were coming apart. You have people around you who are telling you sometimes exactly what you uh, may want to hear, but don't need to hear. You have lots of people who I would imagine are blowing smoke up your proverbial dress. I want to know how do you, in a place where there are many, many people who are just telling you what you want to hear, want to get close to you for their own reasons, how do you say, "I know who I am"? I know that my my life is Aaron and the children. I will not be swayed. I will not be tempted by this place called Washington, D.C. I think a big part of it is, is that I go home to my wife and children every night. And to me, that is absolutely vital. We are together as a family. We said that we were going to do that. So when I'm in Washington, D.C., my wife and my kids are with me. When I am home in Missouri and we're out of session, they're with me. We are yeah. together as a family. So in the evenings, I mean, just to be honest with you, I don't do very many evening events. There's always mm-hmm. something going on around Washington. I get invited to lots of things. and th- That's all fine. But I say no to almost all of those because my kids are 10, 8, and 2. Yeah. And I'm going to go home to them. And so almost every single night, I'm home with them to have dinner. I put my boys to bed. I read to them. My wife and I get to spend some time together. And that, for me is how I stay grounded. I go home to those kids who don't care what I do during the day. They need me as dad. I go home to a wife who will look me in the eye and tell me what I need to hear. And sometimes that's, I saw you said this today. Why did you say that? (laughs) You know, or I saw you made this decision. Was that a good choice? I mean, that's the kind of grounding and just real life that for me is absolutely vital. We, uh, we all know that uh, President Ronald Reagan, who I, I certainly grew up loving and admiring, went to Eureka College, and apparently there was enough Christianity in that college to feed his faith. Senator Josh Hawley, on the other hand, is a product of Ivy League, which are known as largely secular and very, very much elitist in the sense of not being uh, strong to embrace uh, Christian beliefs. I got to ask you, when you were on campus, and you touch on this in another place, how to stay faithful? There's another part where you say in the book, uh, at first I was a little disoriented until I found my tribe. Now, Senator, I have lots of kids in my parish who this August will go off to college, and I want them to find their tribe. I want them to know where they belong, who they are, when they go into these uh, places that are not necessarily friendly to people of faith. How did you discern, this is my tribe, this is where I belong? Well, for me, that was about finding a church. This comes back to your earlier wonderful question about, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna follow Jesus Christ, do we just do that on our own, or do we do that with other people in the context of a congregation? And the answer is the second thing. And for me, that was critical in college. I don't know how my college years would have gone if I hadn't have found a church that I could call my home. And that's really where I met most of my friends. 
that's, you know, we did things together around the life of, of the church. There was a camp, a vibrant campus ministry. Senator, um, you are uh, called in some articles on you pugnacious, and you are. But I mention that because I, I happen to like that. I think if we are proud of who we are, what we value, we shouldn't be shy about sharing it. In New York State, uh, especially among the Republican Party, there is this uh, kind of go along to get along mentality, specifically as it concerns the life issue. You know, if we don't talk about this, we won't get beat up so badly. But I believe, and I think you do too, that uh, we shouldn't have to apologize for the things we hold dear. If we believe life is sacred from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death, that we should be able to say that without apology. Have you been advised, especially after the famous Dobbs decision, to uh, to backtrack, to, uh, to 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 compromise, to not topic, talk about the topic, or are you comfortable just saying, "Hey, this is who I am. This is what I believe." I've absolutely been advised that way, and you know, yeah. all of the political pundits, the, the self-appointed experts, yeah. all like to say to those of us who are pro-life, "Well, it's fine to be pro-life, but just don't talk about it yeah. too much." Yeah. You know, I mean, don't don't. But this gets back to. Are we going to stand for truth or not? And I'll yeah. just say this. There is not, I don't believe, a more important justice issue in our nation yeah. than the issue of the innocent unborn. I mean, if we can't take a stand to defend the most helpless yeah. among us, then who are we going to stand for? And sometimes I, I listen to folks say, well, you know, if if, if back in the 19th century, I, I would have been adamantly anti-slavery. I know I would have been. And I just think, really? Would you have been willing to take a stand then if you're not willing to take a stand now? Yeah. I mean, if you're not willing to stand now for the inalienable rights of the most vulnerable among us, then I don't know that you're willing to stand for much. And so my view is, listen, we, we don't have to go and, and be obnoxious about it, yeah. but nor should we compromise on the truth. And the truth is that every single life matters, that every life is made in the image of God, and the most vulnerable deserve protection. Senator Josh Hawley has been our guest. The book is called Manhood. Uh, a final question about hope. Uh, Frank Capra, the old film director, was a friend of mine. And in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, when they're talking about George Bailey's hard times, is he sick? And the answer is no, 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 worse than that. He's discouraged. A lot of people in our country have given up on the political system because they are discouraged. And I don't want them to be. And I know you don't want them to either. But how do you personally, in light of the divisions in our country and sometimes the blindness of people who don't agree with us, uh, how do you keep hope alive? Well, I keep hope alive by looking at the difference that even one person can make. You know, when I look at the difference that one father can make, one father who just invests in his wife, invests in his family, raises his kids, that person is changing the destiny of lives. That person is leaving a legacy that will matter. I've been the beneficiary of men who have done that. It only takes one. You know, this is just part of how God made the universe, right? He wired the universe in such a way that one person, the courage, the faith, the boldness of one person can change the course of history, can change the destiny of many people. And so this is why I say to young men out there, you want your life to matter? Get married, have a family, invest yourself in other people. Don't listen to, to the, the modern voices that say, oh, prioritize yourself, chase pleasure, do what <laughs> makes you happy. No, no, no. Give your life away to others. That is the real key to meaning and to legacy. And because I've seen the effects of that in my own life, other people doing that for me, I have tremendous hope for the future, particularly if we will call young men and young women, but in my case, young men, because that's who this book is directed towards, call them to be all that God made them to be. They can be destiny makers. I'm so hoping that Pope Francis somewhere is listening to and watching Senator Hawley on our Personally Speaking show. Did you hear what he said? He says, 
that we should all get married, Holy Father. So I'm ready and willing. If it would, <laughs> <laughs> Senator, thank you for all our listeners and watchers. Manhood is the book. Senator Josh Hawley has written a great book. I want you to get it for people in your family and to read it because it's a real lesson and a better way to live our lives, a better way to be a culture. And Senator, I know you're going to get grief for this book, but it's so necessary. Thank you for writing it. And thank you for talking to us today on Personally Speaking. Thank you so much for having me. As we end today's program, if you'd like to reach out to me for any reason, you can get me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.